Hey friends, Alan Duty here, preaching pastor at New Life. The generosity of listeners like you allows us to offer ministry programming designed to reach people around the world. If you'd like to partner with us in an ongoing way or by giving a one-time gift, please visit our website, newlifecs.net, and click on Give. There you'll find information to give online, by text message, or by mail. Thank you, and enjoy the following message. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 8. Deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a cl- clear conscience, and let them also be tested first. Then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. This is God's word. You may be seated. When it comes to the topic of leadership, there are literally thousands and thousands of resources out there. Uh, You've probably read many of the books. You've probably seen many of the articles, uh, whether that's a class in college or just for your own liking and benefit, you've um, seen these resources. Many of them great. Many of them secular. Many of them biblical. When it comes to leadership in the church... Unfortunately, the church has taken many cues from the world instead of the Bible. To be sure, the church has learned and gained much from the business world or the secular world in terms of how it's run and maybe even to some degree leadership. However, we must be careful not to lead the church in ways that aren't biblical. And so this morning, we're going to talk about this idea. We're going to answer some of these questions. How would God define leadership within the church? What does God say about those who serve as leaders in the church? What qualifications do they possess? What's required of them? And how do we see and observe all of this in their lives? Right? These are some of the questions we want to ask and answer this morning so that God's word can in, um, inform our understanding. And I love how Paul Tripp describes Christian leaders, um, but really it's true of all of us as Christians. He says that they, people that we know, um, I'm sorry, us, we're not the painting that people are meant to look at. They are a window to the glory of the Christ that they need to trust. So we are not the painting that people ought to see. We're simply a a window to the glory of Jesus that we want people to see and to know and understand. And I think this frames our conversation about leadership. It helps us put ourselves in the proper place. This is about Jesus. We are a means to that end. We are not the end in and of ourselves. And so last week we finished talking about elders and pastors in the church, and this week we're going to turn our attention to look at deacons in the church, the servants of the church. And this morning we're going to learn that God has provided servants for his church for the building up of the body and the spread of the gospel. 
And so to frame our discussion, we need to look at that word deacon. What does that mean? That's a weird word. What does it even mean? The word deacon means servant. And so scripture is clear that Jesus came not to be served, but to serve. And he is our example. Look at Mark 10. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. So every single one of us who places faith in Christ is called to serve. We've all been called to serve God and his church with Jesus as our example. So at the outset, if you don't consider yourself a leader, you're probably wrong because you are leading someone to Jesus or away. But if you're not a recognized leader in the church, for example, don't tune out. Because I believe what we're going to see here, though Paul is describing what a deacon is and how a deacon serves the church, we all ought to aspire as Christian men and women of faith to be men and women of character like we see here. So don't tune out. This is for you. This is for me. But additionally... We can praise God that he's provided leaders in the church to care for our souls and to protect us against evil and danger. We can praise God that he's provided examples, not perfect, but faithful men and women for us to follow, to model our lives after. And so this is for us to learn and grow together this morning as we look at the office of deacon. To be sure, it's clear that God has called certain Christians to serve in specific ways, especially the office of deacon, the office of elder. So consider Philippians 1.1. Paul opens the letter and he says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons. So it's clear Paul makes a distinction between the saints and between the elders and deacons, those who hold a specific office. So there's a distinction here. In Acts 6, we get a picture, as we just read, we get a picture of the first deacons, right? What were their character qualifications and what did they do? Ultimately, they were essentially table servants. That's what the first deacons were. And their service helped to enhance, ensure the fruitfulness of the church, And so you'll remember that in that passage, we have a group of Christians that was being neglected. They weren't receiving their daily distribution of food. And so the apostles recognized that there was this need. And rather than stop all that they were doing, preaching and teaching and praying, they called men who were among them, who were full of the spirit and wisdom, and they called those men to meet this specific need. Equally important but not to distract themselves from the ministry of the word. And so they call these men from among them so that they could continue serving in that way. Now, this is not necessarily prescriptive in Acts 6, so we don't look at this passage and we don't say everything about this is the way we need to model our church, but rather it's descriptive, showing us characteristics and uh, some of the duties that deacons will perform. So we see that deacons, for example, serve in 
uh, their service is distinct from normal Christian service. So specific men are serving in a specific way to meet a specific need. It's very specific, right? We also see that deacons serve so the apostles could focus on other important matters. I don't want you to think hierarchy here. It's that the ministry of the word, teaching and preaching is important and prayer But meeting real needs, serving those within the body is also important. And so they call these men to meet this need so that they can continue to meet this other really important, crucial need. So I don't know about you, uh, I love a good restaurant, right? What I want to do is I want to ask you to raise your hand and tell me your favorite restaurant so we can share stories. Um, God's gift to man is good food and a good restaurant right? Now, everybody has their thing. That may not be you. You'd rather do other things. Um, And obviously, I can't go to restaurants all the time because it's expensive and it's not as healthy, right? But something about going to a restaurant and being served and enjoying good food and just walking out full in so many ways, right? Full from the conversation. You just loved it and enjoyed it. So we all know that our experience in the restaurant is largely shaped by our waiter or waitress. You're already thinking about the stories right now. That could go really bad. They're not keeping things filled. Um, they're just not on their game. They, maybe they don't like you for some reason. I don't know. Um, but they're, they're just, it's just not happening. Maybe there's something personal going on with them that you really don't know, but it's affecting their work. On the other hand, we know that it can go really great, right? Everything is filled. Everything is there as it should be, when it should be. You don't have to ask. They're engaging you in conversation, but not interrupting your conversations. They're not too intrusive, but they're enhancing the experience. They're making it even better, And where it would be silly for the cook to leave the kitchen to come serve your table. That's why these waiters and waitresses are hired to help, to serve, to enhance and ensure the fruitfulness of the restaurant. We see many similarities with the church and deacons. And so I love how Thabiti Anyabwile says it in his book, Finding Faithful Elders and Deacons. Look at this. The local church, too, has table servers. We call them deacons. The joy, peace, unity, and fruitfulness of the local church depends in part on having a cadre of faithful table servants who are present when needed, eager to serve without being intrusive. I love that, right, how we see the similarity. Obviously, there are many differences, but we see the similarity in that picture. So at New Life, we have a similar practice. We recognize those who are full of the spirit and wisdom, those who have a good reputation among the church and outside the church, those who are already serving in particular ways. We recognize them and we begin the conversation as we help them evaluate their character, as we help them evaluate their service. And then eventually we recommend them to you all as deacons and we call them to serve in specific ways. And so Acts gives us an idea of what role deacons play. They are spirit-filled assistants to the elders. They are servants of the church. 
And as we turn our attention to our text, we, in 1 Timothy 3, we see the qualifications of those who serve as deacons and how we spot these qualifications. So here are the qualifications. How do you see them? That's what our text addresses. And so Paul begins, and he says that like elders, deacons must be qualified in these ways. This is not optional. This is a requirement. And where they're they're not perfect, we're not saying perfection is demanded. We're saying that they must have these certain character qualifications. By God's grace, we're all learning and growing, being more holy and sanctified in Jesus. Okay, so we're not talking perfection, but they must have all of these. And the lists really are similar with the exception that elders must be able to teach, and that's not a requirement of deacons. Must be able to teach, and that's going to be really important in our deacon discussion here in just a bit. The big picture is that deacons, like elders, must be men whose lives are shaped and marked by the gospel. That's the picture that Paul is painting here for us. That they ought to be men whose lives are marked and shaped by the gospel. But remember, we too, as Christians, as servants of God, every single one of us, our lives ought to be marked by these characteristics and many more. So this is for us to evaluate our own hearts as we look at these and as we go through these. How do we match up? God, help us to evaluate our own lives. And I want to make one important note before we get into them. Long introduction is uh, I want you to notice the importance that God places on the inner man. When we talk about elders, pastors, we look at deacons, there are very few skills and competencies listed. But rather, we see a lot of qualifications uh, that um, are related to character, right? The inner man. This is important for us to see. So he begins and he says that deacons must be dignified. I think similar to the elder qualification that elders must be above reproach, this is kind of an umbrella qualification. This is a junk drawer, if you will, kind of a catch-all that deacons must be dignified. They must be men of respect. They must be sincere deacons must be dignified. This is a man that you want your son to be. You want your daughter to marry. That's the kind of man we're talking about here. It's a man who's worthy of respect. He's honorable and his reputation precedes him. This is a man who can be trusted. And this is critical because a man who doesn't have the respect of those he leads can't serve those who are under his leadership, right? A man who doesn't have the respect of those he leads, he can't serve those who are under his leadership because they don't respect him. And so this is critical as we think about serving in the church. This being dignified and respectable is essential in order for people to be served by a deacon. And so again, we're not talking about perfection. We're talking about faithfulness. We're talking about a man who's humble and willing to admit that he's not perfect, that he's made mistakes. That is a man who people can respect, a man who's humble and willing to admit those things. And so deacons ought to be dignified. Second, deacons ought not be double-tongued. 
Now, I'm from Irving. You may not know about Irving. I don't want to take time to tell you about Irving, but we don't really talk this way, right? We don't really say, ought not be double-tongued. Um, we would just say, the guy can't be squirrely, you know? Like, we're talking bottom shelf. Uh, if you wonder where the guy stands on a particular important subject matter, this is not the guy we're talking about. If you kind of never know where he's going to land on important things, that's a problem. And this is not the man that we're talking about. A deacon must not be double-tongued. Rather, he is honest. He is upright. He's not a hypocrite in what he says and as a result in what he does. That is the man we're talking about. From the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. From the overflow of the heart, the life is lived, right? It's all coming from somewhere much deeper. We're talking about a man who means what he says and says what he means, whose yes is yes and his no is no, right? We're talking about a man who's upright. And listen, as a result, he's willing to admit when he makes a mistake. He's willing to admit when he falls short. My growing concern, my growing fear for us and our generation and our culture is an unwillingness to take responsibility for one's actions. That is not what we're talking about. We're talking about a man who realizes, I messed up. Here it is. That's what makes the gospel of Jesus so glorious that in our weakness, Christ is strong. So acting strong when you're not, acting like you don't have weaknesses when you are, it's opposite of the gospel of grace. No, this man says, I am who I am by the grace of God. He's tried and true. And you can imagine the importance in the context of serving people in the church. If he doesn't keep his word, if he doesn't do what he says, people will be neglected. And it not only tarnishes his uh, reputation, but it brings reproach on Jesus that God is not faithful, that God is not there, that God won't meet your every need. May it not be so. A deacon ought not be double-tongued. Next, he says he um, should not be addicted to much wine. As we said a few weeks ago, uh, as we were talking about pastors, what Paul's not saying is that elders and deacons should not consume alcohol. What he's saying is they shouldn't be consumed by it. It shouldn't rule their lives. They should not be addicted to much alcohol. And alcohol is critical, especially in our culture. But I think there are a lot of other subjects and things that would fall under this category. Prescription meds, sleep, pleasure, leisure activities, right? We could put a lot of things kind of in this category and maybe even God is speaking to you right now, something comes to your mind. It's not abusing those things. Most of those things are good things. They're neutral things. God has given those to us for our enjoyment. The problem is when we fail to see the good God behind those things, that God is creator and he's given them for our enjoyment, but we must be self-controlled and disciplined in our use. That's what we're talking about. 
one of the one of the things that really concerns me, especially when we're talking about leadership in the church, but you all will relate, is we're talking about not being addicted to much wine. And as a leader in anything, but especially in the church, there is this pressure I think that we've put on leaders. We've expected perfection. And my fear for us is that we all have this tendency to want to find relief in some way. And because of our sinful hearts, we will first, unfortunately, run to other things rather than God. And so I think the particular danger that Paul is highlighting here is that in leadership, as deacons in the church who are trying to manage their own households well, who are doing all the things that we all do each and every day, the responsibilities and the task and all the stuff, right, on your list. On top of that, they're saying there are other people who have needs and I, by God's grace, need to meet them. And so the pressure and the danger of, of seeking to find relief in that pressure situation from other things is I think what Paul is warning us against. And that's true as leaders, but you've also found that to be true in your life, I'm sure. I know I have. Not greedy for dishonest gain. This is one who doesn't take advantage of others for his own profit or benefit. And y'all, we live in a culture that's out of control, that serves self first and foremost over everyone else who is concerned only with their own good and well-being. They want to win at all costs. That is where we find ourselves. And to be sure, this is result of the fall. This is a result of our sinful nature. But God is saying those who serve in the church ought not be that way. Rather, they demonstrate, self, demonstrate self-sacrifice in the way that they look to meet the needs of others, in the way that they care for others. This deacon is a man who's generous in every way. And a huge aspect of this has to do with finances. Listen, I know that perception isn't always reality, but is the perception of this person that they only care about themselves, only care about taking care of their own needs? One who is not greedy for dishonest gain, will give himself regularly to serve others. Because you can imagine the danger, and you've heard the stories, unfortunately, of leaders in the church who are taking advantage of those they serve, exploiting weaknesses and promising that God will bless them if they only, you fill in the blank, if they only give a certain amount, if they only serve so much, if they only live a certain way, and the list goes on and on and on. No, God's servant, a deacon, must not be greedy for dishonest gain. So, everybody ready to sign up? Right? No. This is tremendous. This is huge. What a calling. Is anyone, is it possible for any man to set aside his sinful ways to be able to look to meet the needs of others like this? Is it even possible? No. It's not. Apart 
from holding the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. The standard is high and the task is great, but the church will be served and needs will be met. People will be cared for when men of conviction live out their convictions as they're shaped by the gospel. There's only one way to be transformed by the good news of Jesus and to allow God to use you to serve others. That's our only hope. And that's what Paul's saying here. Apart from being rooted and grounded in the gospel, apart from that being your one motivator, it is not possible to serve others in this way. Isn't it beautiful though? That God would call deacons, that God would call us as Christians to serve others in this way. And then he would supply everything that we need to do that. And then he would call the church to order the church around this idea to do just that. What a beautiful design. God's providence is so clear. And so the logical question is, how do we know these men, these deacons, are men who are full of the spirit and wisdom like this? We've looked at the qualifications. How do you know? Well, look at verse 10. I think we have a couple of answers. Paul says, and let them also be tested first, then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Now skip to verse 12. Let deacons each be husbands of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. So the answer, two parts, I think. We, we have at least two answers uh, from Paul. He says, first, how do we know? Their character will be evident by the way that they serve. Okay, their character will be evident by the way that they serve. So they must pass the test of time. Okay, this is that, let them be tested first. A man who desires a position or a title before he's willing to serve is not the man we're talking about. He must first serve and invite himself into the lives of others. Many of you know my story as a, as a college sophomore. I was wrestling with God's call in my life. Knew God called me to ministry, but I had no idea what that looked like. Um, and so I was wrestling with it as I was trying to declare a major and all of those things that we've, many of us have done. And so I didn't know what to do next, right? What do I do now that I believe God's called me? What do I do? And so one of the most pivotal conversations I've ever had in my life I sat down with my pastor at the time and I said, here's the deal. I think I'm called. What do I do? And he said that ministry is not a position you receive. Listen, it's not something you graduate into, but rather it's serving God and his church. And through your service, God will begin to define and make clear your calling. That's exactly what we're talking about here. You will know a man by the way that he serves and God use our service to define our call. But secondly, how do you know? Their character will be evident by what you see in their lives. Okay, so the chapter two and three of this, um, of First Timothy, largely we're talking about men and women who are shaped by the gospel, okay? And so those who desire the office of deacon, they are in private what they are in public, that's what Paul's saying. You will see, you will know their character by what you see in their lives. And so 
obviously that's a little bit hard to see uh, because we only see one another just a little bit and mainly in public. So how do we know, Paul? Well, he gives us a few categories. First, he says these are faithful men in the way that they love and care for their wives if they're married. Okay, so this is a man who's committed to the wife that God has given him in every single way. From the gym to the bedroom, this is a man who by God's grace has a heart, has eyes, has desires for his wife only. That's how you know. And I press on this with our life group and some of the folks that I meet with regularly. Y'all, we do a disservice to ourselves by not being honest and open with one another. There are some struggles that uh, us as guys and gals, we have in common. There are other struggles that we separately have in common with other guys and gals, right? And yet, oftentimes, we're not intentional enough with each other to talk about these things. So we're talking about lust here. We're talking about the mind, but it could be a whole list of other things. What Paul is saying here is that this is a man who is entrusting himself to God in every way, especially in the way that he loves and cares for his wife. He's committed to doing whatever it takes to make sure that she thrives. And so if you're not married, single men, you ought to be trying to be this man before God brings you a wife. By God's grace and with the help of others, you ought to be striving to be a man like this. That's what Paul's saying. But secondly, the second category is that deacons are faithful in the way that they manage their households. Okay, so for the same reason that you wouldn't take health advice from someone who's unhealthy, who eats jack-in-the-box every day, or a whole list of other things that you could put in that category, For the same reason that you wouldn't take financial advice from a financial advisor that's broke and doesn't manage his money, the same reason that you wouldn't follow a man whose life is a wreck. I'm not talking about perfection. We're talking about faithfulness. But when his life is a wreck and his wife doesn't like him and his kids despise him, that's not a man who's worthy to be followed. And so we know his character, we see his character by the way that he loves his family. He manages his own household and cares for them. The fruit of his faith will be evident in those closest to him. So in all these ways, deacons are men of character and their character will be seen in their service and in their life. Now I miss verse 11. I didn't see it until after, and so I just didn't even prepare. Um, I'm not, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. I skipped it for a good reason. There's something going on here, and we have to figure out what's happening, okay? In this, in this book, we're talking about men and women who are serving in the church. We're talking about their ro- roles at home, and so Paul has helped us to see that men and women were created equal in God's image and likeness, and yet they serve different roles both in the church and in the home. And so what's happening with verse 11? Look with me. 
Their wives, likewise, must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. So at face value, it seems to be pointing to the wives of those deacons that we just talked about, right? Their wives, and then he gives a list of qualifications. And this makes sense for maybe a number of reasons. Maybe it's because Paul knew that as deacons are going into these difficult situations, as they're entering into people's lives and seeking to meet these needs, it would make sense that their wives would come alongside them. Because imagine a single mother or a single lady who is in great need. It would make sense for a deacon to have his wife with him to help minister to her and meet those needs. So we could see that. Maybe it is their wives. Additionally, because a deacon is called to an office in the church, his role is more visible. And as a result, his wife is going to be more visible both inside and outside the church as well. And so maybe she ought to be qualified in these ways because her husband serves in this official capacity, if you will. We can kind of make sense of that, right? But I don't think that's what's happening. I don't think that's what's happening in this text. Rather, what I think Paul is saying is he's laying out the character qualifications of women who also serve as deacons in the church. Everybody okay? I know we're a Baptist church. Okay, this is kind of new and not traditional. I think what Paul's saying is that women who serve as deacons in the church ought to also be qualified in the following ways. That's what I think is happening. So they, like men who serve as deacons, ought to be dignified in every way. Okay? And he's going to go down the list, but here's why I think Paul's saying this. First, the Greek doesn't have the word there. It's supplied. Okay? So it, it, it reads better to say women instead of their wives. Okay? So the there is not there. Two different theirs. All right, that's all. We're not going to get any more confusing than that. Second, it seems odd to list the, uh, list the qualifications of a deacon's wife, but not an elder's wife. So an elder, um, because of his position, his teaching responsibility, we could say it holds a greater weight. So why wouldn't his wife, her qualifications be listed? Why are the deacon's wife's qualifications listed and not the elder's? Third, nothing in this position that we've seen here with deacons excludes a woman from serving in this way. As we saw with pastors, they must be able to teach. And then before that, in 1 Timothy 2, Paul says that women should not exercise spiritual authority over a man in the church. And by teaching, she would be doing that. But as a deacon, she's serving and not teaching. So nothing excludes her from serving in this role. And then finally, I think that Paul lists these qualifications because it's actually a position. It's not the deacon's wife, but rather it is a woman who serves as a deacon. So that, those are the reasons why. And so like men, women who serve as deacons ought to be dignified, respectable. They ought to be sincere. Additionally, they must not be slanderers. That means they shouldn't be gossips. Now, before you throw your Bibles at me, I think Paul lists that here because I think women maybe struggle with this in a little different way. Not to say that guys don't, because we do. 
but women struggle in a little bit different way with this, and I think that's why Paul includes it here. You ladies are wired in a different way. So let me put it this way. Sometimes I run out of words. As a man, as an introvert, after a long day, I just have no words left at the end of the day. And I come home and I'm a little bit quiet and I'm tired and there's nothing that Chelsea, my wife, would want more than me to use more words, right? She wants to talk about it. She wants, and and I love this, but she wants to talk about it. She wants to know how I'm feeling and what happened and I can't remember anything, (laughs) right? And I praise God for that because she's wired and different than I am. She wants more words. She needs more words. The point is, God has gifted you as ladies, and again, I'm speaking generally, so forgive me, but God has gifted you to use words to relate, to use words to to build deep bonds with one another, to interact with one another, to talk about your feelings. These are all wonderful things, but the warning is Paul saying, Don't be a gossip. Don't use this good gift. Don't use your words in such a way that would tear others down and not build them up. That's the warning. That's the warning. And we see countless examples, countless warnings in the scripture of the power of words and the danger of the tongue. And you can imagine in the role of a deacon, folks are inviting you in to their lives. They're sharing important and valuable and confidential and sensitive information. The last thing that you would want to do is betray trust and speak in ways that wouldn't seek to build them up. And so Paul's saying, no, build up with your words. Use your words for good. Next, that she must be sober-minded. That's clear thinking. That's self-controlled in her judgment of people and situations. And again, I want to highlight this as a very positive difference between men and women. And it's probably just me, so guys, forgive me. I'm not putting you in the same boat. It's probably just me, and God's helping me. Praise the Lord. But I see things very black and white, all right? You either did it or you didn't. You succeeded or you failed. And if you failed, condemnation, right? No, that's not right. Don't agree. It's not right, right? God's helping me. My point is, my wife, for example, she is gracious and compassionate with me and with others. She understands that it's not always black and white, that there are gray areas. And sometimes the gray areas require grace. That's what it means to be sober-minded, to be clear-thinking to evaluate every situation with much grace as Jesus would, to not be quick to draw unhelpful conclusions. So in all these ways, she, the woman who serves as a deacon, must be faithful. And in so doing, the church will be built up and the gospel will spread. And so you're wondering, right? You want to write down and hold me to this. You're wondering, what about new life and women serving as deacons? We currently have many women who serve in recognized areas of leadership, who do phenomenal job at all that they do in the ways that they serve. 
a true blessing to the church in countless ways. But we don't currently have any women recognized as deacons at New Life. I believe in the future we'll continue to recognize and empower and raise up faithful women to serve in various roles. And in the days to come, we will see women or a woman called to service as a deacon. And so I'm hopeful that over time, as God continues to grow us and change us, we'll begin to reflect what we see in the scriptures of men and women serving as deacons. And so finally, Paul closes with this great promise from God. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. So as God's servants, we must remember it's God's church we're serving. Whether you're a deacon or you're a member of a healthy local church, God will build his church and he wants to use you. He wants to use us. And so the call is to be faithful, to evaluate our lives based on the characteristics we see here and to seek to serve God in the strength that he supplies. But God will supply it. It's his church. And as we do that, the body of Christ will be built up. And both those who are serving will gain great confidence in the faith, right? Understanding they couldn't do this in and of themselves, but they needed God to change them and help them and give them the power to do so. And then secondly, for those who are being served, there is a great confidence in the faith because they know that God is near. God is faithful. God is able because of the service of deacons and Christians in the church. That's the end goal. And they gain a good standing it says, they gain a good standing with those inside the church and outside the church, and it's not just for their benefit alone. But the bigger picture is that others would see their lives and glorify God, right? They're not the picture we were meant to see. You're not the picture people were meant to see, but you are the window to the glory of Jesus, and so may God use us in that way. I love how Thabiti Anyabwile recounts his restaurant experience to kind of draw a close to all that we've said. He says this, when we left the restaurant, we felt noticed, cared for, and encouraged. We never felt as if we were a means to a tip or an inconvenience. We felt served by someone who enjoyed serving. This is how the congregation should feel as the deacons care for its needs. Isn't that beautiful? The similarities, every time we go to a restaurant, we're reminded, God, you have given the church servants for the building up of the body and the spread of the gospel. And so I praise God for our leaders, for the elders and deacons, and for many of you who serve in countless ways so that others would come to know Jesus who don't know him anymore, so that the church would be built up and discipled and continue growing in faith. So friends, let's ask God to help us be faithful men and women whose lives resemble that of what we've learned today. Let's pray together. God, what a tall task, what great responsibility that you've called leaders in the church to. 
I pray that we would have had a helpful reminder this morning that we are not the painting people are meant to see, but we are a window to you. We're just a means to an end. And so may our lives and our service point people to you, Jesus. I know for myself, I'm tempted to look at my own life and say, I'm not perfect, and so how could anyone want to follow Jesus? And so maybe there are others in the same place, and I pray that you would remind us that you've called us to be faithful, that Jesus is our perfection, and as we trust in him, we are made righteous. (laughs) What good news. I pray that you would help us to see the needs around us because we're all called to be men and women of faith who put our faith into action. And so I pray that you would help us to meet the needs of others around us and that in doing so, we would see many grow in their confidence and trust in you. God, as we respond to your word, we pray that you would help us. We know that you will because you are faithful. We love you and trust you. Amen.